All right. Good morning. Morning, morning, morning. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Judy Myers. My pronouns are she and her, and I am the officiant today. We're here for hybrid platform. We have people attending live on Zoom, in person in the hall, and asynchronously by watching or listening to the recording later. Welcome to everyone. We are one community, unified across time and space as we gather to affirm our values and commit to a better world. We are still figuring out how to do hybrid platform. So let's learn from our mistakes and forgive each other graciously. There's a closed captioning option on Zoom that can be turned on or off. The chat will stay open through much of the platform service, closing for the address itself, and then reopening. If you're joining on Zoom, please do say hello in the chat. And having your chat set for everyone will give everyone else in the Zoom room a chance to see your greetings. Please say hello, whether you are a brand new visitor, a longtime member, a neighbor from another ethical society or Unitarian Universalist congregation, or a person who is not in any of those groups. Online visitors, we invite you to send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, at maceot.ethicalsociety.org. If you're a visitor watching this recording later, this invitation is for you as well. You can fill out a connection form at tiny.cc slash westconnects. And as soon as I get the technology to behave, we will take a look at what some of the folks are saying in the chat. Uh oh, because I am certain there are lots of things to be said or seen, actually. So I got you. Are, I got you. We, start uh, we have Sue Smith. Good morning, all. Good morning, good morning. And Adam Briskin Limehouse says, Yay, made it in. And Lynn also says, good morning. Uh, good morning to all, Brian and Leanne. Good morning, good morning from Vincent and Laura Tyler. Yay, glad to see everyone saying hello. Cynthia Goodman, good morning and happy Mother's Day. Abigail Wolf says, good morning, everyone. Denise Howell, good morning from Indiana. All right, terrific. Patty Absher, hello, dear people. It is wonderful to be in touch. Absolutely, could not agree more. Joe Klein says, welcome visitors. She has put in there our um, link to contact Maceo Thomas. Shirley Storms, good morning, Wes. Arthur Sieben says, greetings all. Randall Myers, also known as Randy. Good morning, all. Uh, Emily Glazer, hello from Emily Glazer in Silver Spring. Please be sure that your chat settings are um, set to everyone so that we can all see what you are saying. It's particularly good mornings. And Busola says, good morning, everyone. It is really terrific to see everyone saying good morning. 
It is good always. And for those who may care to do so, uh, you may want to get a candle to light during our candle lighting. It is good to connect and to share time together. Once you are prepared, I invite you to settle in wherever you are as we continue to gather. Opening words this morning are by Elizabeth Mount. From our very first breath, we reach out. Co-regulation, not self-regulation, is in our nature. We find our cues from the sun and the moon, from each parent and caregiver. We find our place in this great turning planet by turning to one another, generation to generation, we awaken to the dawn and fall asleep at the evening's end. Our life's journey is part of something greater, something simple, something profound. A flame cannot be lit without a spark. A life cannot begin without the air. And we cannot begin to find ourselves without love. May we reach out to one another. May we offer love and nurturing care. May we join together in celebration of the interdependence of our lives. In this spirit, let us gather together. We begin our platform with music from the UU Utica Choir.
welcome once again. Each week, we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash read SOP. You can record a video of yourself reading the statement of purpose if that works better for you. Or you can present the statement of purpose alongside us as we broadcast live. If you're relatively new to the community or haven't been as active lately, it's an easy way to introduce or reintroduce yourself. Today's reader is Peter Bishop. And Peter is here in the hall with us. Thank you, Judy. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. If you're joining us from afar and have a candle at home, I invite you to light it now as Peter lights our community candle and I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Thank you, Peter. Today's platform relates to the importance of caring. Today's Time for All Ages has something to say about that. Morning, everybody. Morning, I'm Lynn Cox, my pronouns are they, them. I'm the interim leader here at the Washington Ethical Society. It's good to be back with you. I've missed you all the last two weeks. Today's story is adapted from one that was published by Leo Tolstoy, Tolstoy in 1885. And in those times as now, worrisome things were happening in the world. And people wondered, when is the right time to take action? And who are the most important people to pay attention to? And what's the most important thing to do? In our times when we think about nurturing other people and ourselves, when we think about responding to injustice, when we think about how to strengthen our communities for changing the world, we might have some of the same questions. So I don't know if the story happened exactly this way, but I believe it's true. Once upon a time, there was a king who had questions. He had the idea if that he always knew the right time to begin anything, if he knew who the right people were to listen to, and if he always knew what was the most important thing to do, he thought he would never fail in anything he endeavored to undertake. So the king had it proclaimed throughout the kingdom that he would give a great reward to anybody 
who could answer these three questions to his satisfaction. Learned scholars came from all over the kingdom to advise the king on when was the right time to begin something, who were the right people to listen to, and what was the most important thing to do. So lots of people had answers, and all of the answers were different. Some said the king should have a strict schedule so that he would always know the right time to do things and what he should be doing. Other people said you need a magician to predict the future. So the only way to know what the right time to do something was, was to have a magician with you. Some people said the king should make all of his decisions with the help of a council, but even they disagreed on who should be on that council, if it should be warriors or doctors or scholars or clergy or merchants. And some people said the king should trust only himself and only make his own decisions. Well, all of the answers were different, and none of them were completely satisfying to the king, and so he had one more person he wanted to consult. There was a hermit living in the forest, and the hermit was known to be very wise and was also known to only receive visitors who were common folk. So the king dressed himself in common folk clothes. He had to get somebody to tell him about that. And he left his crown and his scepter at the castle, and he went with his bodyguard and a few, some distance away from the hermit's cottage. He dismounted and he left the bodyguard and the horse and walked up to the cottage on his own. And when the king approached, the hermit was digging in the ground outside of the house. And seeing the king, the hermit offered a greeting and kept on digging. Well, the hermit was struggling with this task. Every time the shovel hit the dirt, the hermit breathed heavily. And the king approached and said, I have come to you, O wise hermit, to ask three questions. What is the right time to begin things? Who are the most important people to pay attention to? And what is the most important thing to do? The hermit listened, just kept struggling with the shovel, And then the king said, you know what? You're tired. Let me do that for you. And so the king took the shovel and started turning over the soil in the garden beds that the hermit had marked out. Well, after a while, the king, you know, dug out two of the beds. And then the king said, oh, wise hermit, I hope you're going to give me the answers to my questions. And the hermit's like, Hey, how about you let me take that shovel back from you? And the, and the king said, nope, never mind. And the king kept digging another garden bed. Well, the sun was starting to get low on the horizon, and the king finished digging out the garden beds that had been laid out. And the king said, oh, wise hermit, I hope you can give me the answers to my three questions. But if you cannot, please tell me so, and then I will return home. And the hermit said, huh. Here comes someone running. Let's see who it is. And a stranger came running out of the forest, and the person had their hands pressed against their stomach, and they didn't look so good. And the person got all the way to the king and the hermit and fell to the ground and fainted. 
and they moved the person's shirt aside and saw that their side was open with a wound and their shirt was covered with blood. Well, the king washed the wound and bandaged the wound and rebandaged the wound until it stopped bleeding. And then the king and the hermit together lifted the person up and brought them into the cottage and laid them on the bed. The hermit went, you know, showed, showed the king where the clean water was. The king woke up the person a little bit, brought them some water, and the person went back to sleep. Well, the king was so tired from a long day of digging. He wasn't used to that. And from taking care of this injured person that the king himself laid down on the floor of the cottage and went to sleep until the next morning. And when he woke up, he wasn't sure at first where he was or who this person was who was staring at him. But he uh, kind of sat up and the person said, forgive me. That's a strange way to say good morning. I don't know you and I have nothing to forgive you for, said the king. Well, you don't know me, but I know you, said the person, because I am your sworn enemy. You executed my brother, and that's when I decided to be your sworn enemy. And I knew you were coming to the hermit by yourself. And so I was waiting for you to attack you on your return. But when you didn't return at the end of the day, I came out from my hiding place, and your bodyguard saw me and recognized me, and she wounded me. But I escaped from her and came to you. But then I came to kill you, and you have saved my life. So now I am in your debt. I will be your servant. Please forgive me. Well, the king was very glad to have made peace with his enemy so easily, and not only forgave him, but said he would send his own physicians to come and tend to the injured person. Having taken care of the wounded person, the king went outside and found the hermit now planting seeds in the beds that had been dug the day before. The king approached and said, I ask one more time, O wise hermit, when is the right time to begin something? Who is the most important person to pay attention to? And what is the most important action? And the hermit said, you have already been answered. Do you not see that if had you not helped me yesterday but had gone on your way, the other person would have come and tried to kill, kill, kill you, and you would have wished that you had stayed with me. And so at that time, being with me was the most important thing, and I was the most important person. And to help me was your most important task. And then later, when the person came out of the forest, the most important time is when you were helping them. And the most important person was the person who needed your care. And the most important thing was to be helping them. The king sat down and helped plant the seeds as the hermit continued. Remember then, there is only one time that is important, and that is now. It's the most important time because it is the only time when we have any power. The most necessary person is the person with whom you are, because none of us ever know if we're going to have dealings with anyone else. The most important affair is to do that person good because it is for that purpose alone that we're together in this life. So ends the story. Today is a day when many of us are thinking about 
parents, caregivers, and other people who nurture. It's hard to manage all of the tasks and roles and big issues that affect us when we're caring for others. And so even aside from those roles, there are a lot of big things on a lot of our minds and hearts right now. And it might help to bring it back to what's simple and true. Come back to the present moment. This is the moment when we have the power to make moral and ethical decisions. Consider the people right around us, and I would include ourselves in that. And consider that love is our most important business with its aspects of kindness and compassion and mindfulness all focused on the here and now. As we consider what's really important, let's enter into the centering time of our practice. Each week, we ring a chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful of those whose lives are in harm's way, whether in a war in Ukraine, an explosion in a hotel in Havana, or in, in anticipation of removal of the protection of a law that makes women's health a priority. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. and let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. As we continue with our centering time, I invite you to join me in this meditation by Sarah Goodman. Find a comfortable place for your body and breathe as deeply as you're able. Hold in your mind the image of all things, all beings coming from the same tree, roots stretched in limitless tangles of connection and sustenance. Interconnected and interlaced in a web of living and dying that is so beautifully designed and most times invisible. Join me in breathing. Breathe in for our lives touched by ancestors, known and unknown. Breathe out for living lives that will touch our descendants. 
Breathe in for folks held in loving arms as they were raised up. Breathe out for folks who had to make their own way too early in their lives. Breathe in for beloveds who we hold close in our hearts every day. Breathe out for beloveds we sometimes have trouble reaching out to. Breathe in for loving. Breathe out for losing. Breathe in for parents doing the best that they can. Breathe out for the impossible decisions they've had to make. Breathe in for those living with addictions, mental illness, and grief. Breathe out for those living with and caring for folks living with addiction, mental illness, and grief. Breathe in for caregivers of all kinds who give of themselves to make other people's lives better, more whole. Breathe out to honor this holy work. Let's take a moment of silence together.
Mother's Day, just wanted to get that announcement out of the way. Today we're talking about nurturing and about how each person is a miracle and that the gift of our attention to each other in the present moment helps us to sustain a practice of loving kindness. That's not unrelated to Mother's Day, but it's also not limited to mothering or parenting. Yet I can't let this day go by without saying that we have among us a wide range of relationships with Mother's Day. We have among us those folks who aren't and never wanted to be parents. We have among us those for whom today is full of grief because of death or estrangement or abuse. We have among us people whose feelings about this day, whether joyful or otherwise, are related to their experience of adoption. We have among us people who have desperately wanted to be parents, but that didn't come to pass. We have among us people whose relationships with their mothers are complicated, and people who were raised by parents or family members who aren't mothers. We have among us people whose parenting or caregiving role isn't recognized. And we have people like me for whom a holiday that's really gender-specific and binary to talk about roles is kind of weird. All of that being said, I and many of us celebrate and thank those for whom the label of mother fits, those who can enjoy today unironically, because goodness knows parents need recognition and support and a more robust social safety net. So felicitations to those who celebrate today, and if today is hard, I see you. Then there is the experience we need to name about actually parenting in these times. It has been 790 days, give or take, since the pandemic began to affect our parenting decisions. It has been more than two years of trying to create routine and stability in a crisis. It has been more than two years of waiting for children under five to be eligible for vaccination. For 790 days, we have had to weigh the risk of death or serious illness against the needs for peer socialization, the need to see grandparents or other family members, the need for respite. Over the last two years, there have been unnecessary and untimely deaths, economic strains, and all kinds of stresses on our families without the avenues of support we normally would have hoped to have had 
before the pandemic. Some of us are more traumatized than others, and none of us are really okay. And that stress got another layer this week with the leak of a draft opinion for the Supreme Court that would gut legal protections for abortion, threatening other privacy and equal protection rights, such as birth control and marriage equality in the same blow. It is hard to be a parent when our children face increasing threats to the legality of necessary health care. Though reproductive health care has never been truly accessible to all, it seems like it is about to get worse. When the Supreme Court treats anyone who can get pregnant as an object and not a subject, all of our human rights are in peril and millions of lives will be lost. Those of us who can be joyful at being parents find our joy diminished as the future we hoped for our children appears less and less possible and we see their human rights disappearing before our eyes. I am specifically thinking of the right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, the right to have children or not to have children, and the right to parent in safe and sustainable communities. These are the rights that are foundational to reproductive justice as defined by Sister Song. So many of us have been gripped with anger and despair this week on top of whatever anger and despair we were already feeling about COVID, about climate change, about immigration justice, about racism, about democracy, and many other things. Whether we are directly responsible for children or not, all of us are part of communities that are necessary for the rising generation's well-being. We have to find a way to love, even when the world gives us reasons for anger and despair. We have to find a way to sustain ourselves and each other, even just for life's sake, and certainly if we're going to find the energy for collective action. We have to find a way to stay connected because isolation will not strengthen us for the journey ahead. The challenges before us are complicated, but certain things remain true. Let's focus on what will keep us on the path of love, the path of justice, the path of healing, the path of connection. Let's remember these things as we think about how to be the community that nurtures the rising generation. I often think about a quote from Pablo Casals, the famous cellist. He said, each second we live is a new and unique moment of the universe, a moment that will never be again. And what do we teach our children? We teach them that two and two make four and that Paris is the capital of France. When will we also teach them what they are? We should say to each of them, do you know what you are? You are a marvel. You are unique. In all the years that have passed, there has never been another child like you. Your legs, your arms, your clever fingers, the way you move. You may become a Shakespeare, a Michelangelo, a Beethoven. You have the capacity for anything. Yes, you are a marvel. 
And when you grow up, can you then harm another who is like you, a marvel? You must work. We must all work to make the world worthy of its children. You are a marvel. You are amazing. You are a miracle. And so is your neighbor. And so is the person you are in conflict with. And so is the person who needs access to reproductive health care and or gender-affirming care. And so is the kid who can't travel on the sidewalk without the threat of police violence. And so are the kids who have respiratory disorders made worse by pollution. We must all work to make the world worthy of its children. The inherent worth and dignity of every person seems like such a simple concept, and the implications are enormous. We can get caught up in all of the work we have to do, all of the challenges that we have to face. And then when we return to the marvel of existence in the first place, when we come back to this new and unique moment, we might find some of the love and joy that will sustain us through the struggle. And this is where Tolstoy comes in. A lot of things have changed since 1885, but humans still wrestle with moral questions. These days, we might have more nuance or more angles on the ideas expressed in today's story, but when we feel lost or overwhelmed, anybody feeling lost or overwhelmed? Yeah. Maybe it's okay to come back, come back to some simple guidance until we get our bearings. If anger and despair has us spinning, let's reset our compass points by honoring the most important time, which is the present moment, the most important people who are the people we are with, and the most important action, which is love. The present moment is the most important time. We can be informed by the past, we can have goals for the future, yet the only time when we can actually make ethical choices is now. The information we have now is what we have. Our platform a couple of weeks ago focused on mindfulness so we can be brief here, but there is no time like the present to remind each other of the present moment. Being in the present might mean letting go of blame for others and recriminations for ourselves. There is a point at which the utility of learning from our mistakes is fulfilled, and there is nothing more to be gained by wishing we had been smarter or stronger or faster or had different information available to us at the time. When the question, what did I learn and how can I make better choices in the future, turns to rehearsing insults and name-calling against ourselves, stop. You are a miracle. You are a wonder. The people with whom you are in relationship are miracles and wonders, even if you wish they had made different choices. The present moment might be painful, and there's been a lot of pain in the last two years. As Brene Brown has pointed out, People don't like being in pain. And shame and blame are two of the ways people try to get out of being in pain. And we know in our hearts that neither one really solves the problem. 
both shame and blame lead to disconnection. Let's make a choice that connects rather than isolates. We cannot go back in time to prevent the pandemic or achieve a different outcome to the 2016 election or somehow not be in crisis ourselves so that we could have cared for each other differently over the last two years. Let's choose to love ourselves and each other. It's okay to have hard conversations and name feelings and make requests for different behavior in the future. Direct conversation is loving and does require us to be fully present. What I'm talking about is being unable to stay present because we're stuck and perseverating on things we can't change. Shame for ourselves and grudges against other people or against the communities of which we are a part will not help us to take collective action. Let's be present and marvel that we have the ability to practice love. Let's be present and notice that these are hard things and also know that we are people who can do hard things. Each second we live is a new and unique moment of the universe, a moment that will never be again. This is a moment of possibility. Let us turn to wonder. The people we are with are the most important people. For Tolstoy, he was saying that the profession or social status of the person in front of you is not what makes them important. That they are human is what makes them important. I've heard it said of extremely kind people that if you're, in a, if you're speaking with them in a crowded room, you feel like they're present with you, right? That they're paying attention to you. They're not in a hurry to go talk to somebody else. And that's the loving attention I think Tolstoy evokes in his story. For us in the modern world, what it means to be with someone, to be in connection with them, to be in conversation with them has changed, right? Tolstoy didn't get text messages. We understand that we're connected with people all over the world, that we're tied in a single garment of destiny with people that we don't know. Our actions affect other people, and we want to take responsibility for that. Our thriving, all of our thriving, is bound up together. And all of that being said, because we are all connected, kindness ripples out in all directions when we can be compassionate with the people with whom we are in closest contact. There are a lot of crises happening at the same time. There's a lot of loved ones in pain, and it can be overwhelming to figure out where to begin. If we don't know what to do, practicing kindness with the person in front of you is a great way to start. It's okay to do one small right thing to make the world better. You don't have to save the world alone, and you definitely don't have to save the world alone right this minute. Maybe things haven't changed so much after all. In 1902, Edward Everett Hale wrote, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something I can do. If the something you can do is the gift of your attention to someone in the present moment, it matters. If the something you can do is to show kindness or to take one action for justice or to appreciate the marvel of someone else's existence, 
it matters. Maybe the person you're showing compassion to is yourself. You are also one of the people to be present with in this moment. As it said in the Buckaroo Banzai movie, wherever you go, there you are. We are part of an interdependent web, and our compassion for all beings includes and is not limited to ourselves. Developmental psychologist Carol Gilligan pointed out that studies of moral development up until she began her work were based on the choices of men and boys, and they tended toward an individualistic framework of ethical choices. In her 1982 book, In a Different Voice, Gilligan suggested another way of approaching moral development. These days, that book comes off as being unnecessarily tied to a gender binary. At the time, it was revolutionary to say that there may be more than one right way of understanding and making ethical choices. Gilligan elevated an ethical framework of relationships and responsibilities as being just as mature and developed as an ethical framework of rights and independence. She also said that within that framework of relationships and responsibilities, people can eventually come to an integration of responsibility to both self and others. The person making ethical choices does take into consideration their relationships and their impact on others and also gives weight to their own well-being. It's not an either-or framework. In the present moment, the people who are impacted by our ethical choices are important, and we are some of those people. Certainly, it's also incumbent on us to try to consider the people to whom we are responsible and who will be impacted by our choices, especially if privilege or distance try to obscure those relationships. We are responsible to ourselves, but not only to ourselves. And we can't know everything, so we stay curious and do the best we can. When we're at the point of deciding on our next move, on what's our action, the next place we will attend to justice and kindness, consider acting locally. Invest in the communities and institutions right here and right now that are helping people to connect and to bring positive change. Wes is one of those. Local mutual aid, local work with coalitions like WIN and the DC Poor People's Campaign, local funds that help people to access health care. Small local actions make a difference. So do personal gestures like cards and text messages and phone calls to the people you care about. The people in your immediate circle of impact are important people. The most important action is love. Love can take many forms. We talked about this on Pay Attention to Love Day, how Bell Hooks taught us that love is defined by positive impact on the well-being of the beloved, not by sentiment. Love can look like appreciation and affirmation. Love can look like setting compassionate boundaries. Love can look like respecting someone enough to have difficult, direct, vulnerable conversations. Love can look like asking someone about what they need or just bringing them some water. 
Love can look like rising up in solidarity when your beloved's human rights are being threatened. Love can look like staying in the conversation, being fully present, and not turning away or trying to fix it when your loved one needs you to stay with them in their pain. Love can look like coming back to the table, trying again after a disruption or an absence or a setback. When we can see other people for the miracle they are, when we act so as to elicit the best, to let those miracles shine in others and thereby in ourselves, we are acting with love. Communities like Wes exist to nurture people, to nurture the interdependent network of life, to nurture the rising generation into being the compassionate, thoughtful miracles they are meant to be. As members and friends and families reconnect and recommit to that work, remember that the most important time is the present moment. The most important people are the ones to whom you are, with whom you are present. And the most important action is love. May it be so. After some music, we'll have community sharing time when you can write into the chat or speak into the microphone about what resonated with you in this platform. In this time between, you might prepare for community sharing by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity at West that illustrates the values that we're lifting up today. As we contemplate, rest, and reflect, let us experience the beauty of the musical response. In a spirit of harmony and with the help of Kaya Hartwood, I put my thoughts into song.
time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our own lives. For online participants, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you are watching the recording later. I'll start with some Zoom comments and we'll accept some comments from people live in the hall. In the middle, well, here at this microphone, and then return to our Zoom participants at the end. So let us see what folks have had to say. Mark Mayer says, Lynn, thank you for a terrific platform. I just want to make sure that I did not miss anything. Okay, so the next comment is from Robin Kravitz. Wow, Lynn, thank you. As you were speaking, Ellie and I are sitting here tying tags on our fish extender, a Disney thing for our upcoming cruise. The moment right now was just listening, being with my kiddo and making gifts for strangers. I can't solve all of the world's problems, but I can do the next kind and loving thing. Cynthia Goodman says, what a profound and beautiful story and platform today. Thank you, Lynn. Joe Klein says, great platform, Lynn. I really appreciated the point that being present means letting go of blame for both ourselves and others. Are there folks in the hall who would like to come up to the microphone and come? Oh. Hello, my name is Peter Bishop, and I'd like to talk about three questions. Because when I first, when Lynn first laid out the three questions, uh, 
I immediately thought about uh, what I thought about them. And I was surprised when Leo Tolstoy told us that he had found static answers to these questions. And then Lynn struggled with the problem and she also found fairly decent static answers to these questions. But to me, these three questions do not have static answers. The best answers to these questions keep changing all the time. And uh, so with the first question, for example, the question of uh, when is the most important time, really the question is when is the most important time to do this particular kind of thing, all right? That's really what the question is. And so for everything, there is a time. And so uh, there are times when it's better to do one thing and other times when it's better to do something else. All right, well, that's, that's it for me, thanks. Uh, good morning or good afternoon, Jeff Newhall here. Um, something I don't often mention to people, and I was struck by Lynn's mention of the uh, devastating leak of the Supreme Court brief and the reaction uh, about, uh, about um, that uh, women are still not allowed to have autonomy over themselves. I bring this up because I could well have been aborted 64 years ago. In the late spring of 1958, my mother's OBGYN suggested very strongly that she abort me. Um, he had argued that I would not be uh, able to function on my own, would cause a great deal of financial and um, uh, emotional stress to my parents, and mentioned a procedure for somewhere between $1,000 and $1,500, which was a lot of money back in 1958. You could go and get a new Plymouth for it. Um, the way it would work is that you'd get an emergency passport, uh, the kind that uh, my says, you know, my Aunt Tilda in London is dying and I need to see her sort of thing. And you would get the passport. It would include airfare on BOAC out of Idlewild, which in modern terms would be British Airways out of JFK, get to London late Saturday evening, have the quickie abortion, spend overnight in London, and then fly back to Idlewild on Sunday. And nobody would know anything else except uh, maybe your banker and of course the doctor who I'm sure was getting a kickback. Uh, and my mother said no in, in the strongest possible terms. It's my body, it's my choice, it's my choice, doctor, not yours. And uh, as I say, I don't often mention that. Uh, my opinions on abortion have remained unchanged since uh, I was old enough to vote. It's a decision made between a woman and her doctor. Leave the state out of it, leave the courts out of it. Thank you, Jeff. Mm. One more. Oh, I missed one. Sorry. Mm. Is there something else in the chat that I'm missing? No, I'm saying that's Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so there is 
thank you to all who shared uh, their thoughts and attention. Um, I'm sorry. We have one more. Okay, so Abby. Jeff, your story has inspired me also for um, to tell a story about uh, women's choice leading to not getting an abortion. My grandmother in 1929 was living with a man who was um, abusive and had epileptic fits, but clearly was dangerous aside from that. And she did get an abortion. She got pregnant again two years later and was advised not to not to have the child to get another abortion, but she didn't because she so wanted a child and that was my father. Okay. Thank you for all who shared their thoughts. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at WES, we split the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. This month, half of the offering is dedicated to the Rock Creek Conservancy. The Rock Creek Conservancy exists to restore the creek and its parkland as a natural oasis for all people to appreciate and protect the Rock Creek Conservancy is our partner in stream cleanups along Portal Run, which has been a meaningful multi-generational project for West youth and adults. Let's all take a moment to prepare to respond to the invitation to generosity. If you are someone who gives by text or are in front of a device where you can navigate to the donation page on our website, get out your phone or tablet or navigate to that page now. If you're here in person, and find the ritual of giving cash or a check to be important to your experience, you can start writing your check or moving your donation to a different pocket. There's a basket at the back of the hall to receive your gift. Half of your undesignated gift will go to Wes and the other half will go to our Share the Plate partner for the month. I'll pause for a moment so that all who are able can prepare to respond with generosity On the slide, you will see the number to give by text, 202-335-1885. And you can also make a gift online through the Donate button on our website at ethicalsociety.org. Thank you for your generosity. We will now receive your gifts and the musician's gift of music.
Thank you so much to the many people who helped to create this morning's time together. Thank you to our staff, Linda Izari and Dara Miles, Robin Kravitz, Maceo Thomas, and Tom Hutton. Thank you to interim music coordinator, Leah Morris. Great guest musicians from UU Utica, the Portara Ensemble, Kimberly Debus, and Young Logos. Thank you to John and Abby Dakin, who created our slides. Thanks to Joe London for hosting the upcoming virtual coffee hour. Thank you to Zoom chat usher, Joe Klein, and tech team, John Leka, Levi Leka, Kate Lang, and John Pfeiffer. Thank you to in-person greeter, Susan Runner, and Alex Abbott. At the conclusion of the platform, please join us for social hour in person around the foyer and on the patio or virtual coffee hour via Zoom. To get to the virtual coffee hour, after closing words, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. Thanks also to those who are leading and supporting our work in the weeks to come. You can find information about opportunities to connect in the Sunday links or news and notes emails that come out weekly. Here is some of the latest news. Sunday Ethical Action for Kids or SEEK is wrapping up soon for this school year. High School Youth Group will meet at 10.30 next Sunday to make waffles for the All Societies Platform Watch Party. Yay waffles, yay watch party. And Coming of Age will meet next Sunday at 3.30. The last session of Neighboring Faiths when middle schoolers study ethical culture will be May 20th at 6 p.m. After that, SEEK looks toward the fall. The enthusiasm of volunteers will be highly determinative of what programs West can offer in the new school year. Please contact SEEK coordinator Andara Miles to find out more about ethical education. Come to West this coming Saturday, May 14th at 4 p.m. for the Reunion Field Day. We'll have outdoor activities, games, a bake sale, and a cold dish potluck. Yay, potluck. A sign up for the potluck and bake sale was part of an email that went out to members on May 6th. This event is part of the spring special fundraiser, the reunion com campaign, come together, close the gap. Your gifts are welcome anytime. You don't have to wait for Saturday's event to donate. If you're giving online, you can choose Reunion as the fund from the drop-down menu or put Reunion on the memo line if you're donating by check. We come together each week for hybrid platform with attendees both online and in-person and those who wish to attend platform in-person should RSVP at tiny.cc slash platform reservation. In-person attendees will also need to bring their vaccination card or a picture of their vaccination card. Online attendance will continue to be available for the foreseeable future. You're always welcome to tune in by Zoom. Next Sunday, May 15th at 11 a.m. 
We will join members of ethical culture societies from all over the country for an all societies platform. The platform will be offered by Zoom and will include a variety of speakers as well as a time for breakout group discussion. If you'd like to join others in person to a watch party and enjoy waffles from the youth group, we will also gather here in the main hall at the Washington Ethical Society. Please note the time of next week's platform is shifted one half hour to begin at 11 a.m. See you on Zoom or here in the hall next week for the American Ethical Union All Societies platform. The following week, May 22nd, we'll be back to our usual time at 10.30 a.m. to celebrate coming of age our coming-of-age graduates in ninth and 10th grade will reflect on independence, responsibility, making agreements, and the circle of life. We aren't sure yet if this platform will be available to watch later, so your best bet is to attend in person or tune in by Zoom on May 22nd at 10.30. There is a lot going on. You can see the calendar with upcoming events on the WES website. For more current news from Wes, here is Abby Dakin with an update from the Board of Trustees. She is live here. Do you prefer here? Hey all, Abby Dakin from the Board of Trustees, as before mentioned. Um, so just keeping you up to date with what the board's been doing lately. So first of all, we have signed our contract with KC. And we with you are eagerly anticipating their arrival in the fall and stand ready to support them for a successful first year here at WES. Much of our time lately, in fact, has been um, occupied with the leader transition, with the upcoming board transition, and of course, with the budget. Like many communities that share our tax-exempt status, hopefully you've seen the news that WES is facing a very significant shortfall in income this year with no corresponding So we're on our own as the community to take care of this deficit and be ready for, uh, you know, a, a good year next year. So please contribute to the spring special fundraising campaign as you're able, as well as completing your pledge for the current fiscal year. For next year, Tom and Lynn did a ter terrific job in a hard circumstance of putting together a balanced budget. Obviously, we won't have as much staff service as we'd like to because that's the majority of what we spend our money on. Um, we encourage you to take a look at that budget now. You all have access to it in your email or on the members um, area of the website so that you're ready to vote on it on June 12th at the spring membership meeting. That meeting will also include board elections. Two trustees, Trang Duong and myself, will be up for re-election and um, there will also be two open seats as um, my colleagues Vincent Tyler and Rajesh uh, Vidyasagar have decided not to run again. Three other trustees, Sarah Morris, John Pfeiffer, and Mirko Willis, are staying on the board for the second half of their two-year terms. The LLDC is currently recruiting to fill, um, you know, for the board election. And uh, 
Uh, board service is a great way to contribute to Wes, and this will be excited, an exciting year as we greet a new uh, senior leader. Trang Duong, by the way, has been selected to be our president for next year as well, assuming she's reelected. If board service isn't for you, many other critical committees are also looking for new members, including the Stewardship Committee, the uh, Community Relations Committee, the Lay Leadership Development Committee itself, and more. So the board's work is policy, but this summer is also a terrific time to get re-engaged with Wes on the operational side. There'll be um, opportunities to hear about those, you know, what you can do there at the field day on Saturday, which I hope you guys will attend. Um, so after that, you are, will be well set up to start working on the team that appeals to you. All the Sunday morning teams are getting back up to speed. And in fact, now that we can have food in the hall and there are many more seats available for people to come, probably more than there are people wanting to come, there are, um, we could have coffee and tea again for coffee hour. We just need volunteers to step forward for the coffee team. Uh, in addition, um, there's lots of um, work to do for Indara Miles to get ready for the fall, um, the fall Sunday ethical education for kids. Um, she is leading the charge in preparing that work. She's very capable of it, but what she can do depends a lot on how much volunteer effort she has. So jump in. The future is full of opportunities for meaningful engagement and connection with other West members. Thank you so much, Abby, for all of that critical information. And thank you to all of the hardworking members of the Board of Trustees. Thank you all for being a part of the platform this morning. Let us enjoy our closing song of the month. Something within embraces the ocean. Something within melts into the shore. Something within stands still like a mountain. And we become one with them. Every day, every day, every day wonder. Every day, every day, every day one something within cries out to the heavens. Something within belongs to the sea. Something within seeks hope in the desert. Because we are one with them. Every day, every day, every day wonder. Every day, every day, every day one. Every day, every day, every day wonder. Every day, every day, every day one. Something within, in awe of an infant. Something within, in love with the stars. Something within, 
is blooming in moonlight. This beauty is who we are. Every day, every day, every day wonder. Every day, every day, every day one. Every day, every day, every day wonder. A few brief reminders as we close. If you're new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself. To reach virtual coffee hour, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, nurturing beauty within us, among us, and beyond us for our hearts and for our quest for a better world. Thank you for being here. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.